You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on animal welfare certified bone-in beef short ribs, sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, charcuterie and ground lamb. Grab an olive bowl bread from the bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. What is up, good people? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for coming to this one. This one is a little different. Usually I talk to guitar people who obviously, because who isn't, have an interest in pizza. Today, I'm talking to somebody who's primarily known for his passion and knowledge about pizza. But guess what? He's a musician as well. He went to school for recording. He's an all-around great dude. Today, I'm talking to Scott Wiener from Scott's Pizza Tours. Yes, this man literally makes a living giving tours of the best pizza places in New York City. But he also loves guitar, so it was this great combination of interests that just collided in this one conversation. We spend a lot of time dissecting creativity and the different expressions of it, especially when it comes to dough or effects pedals. No matter what that happens to be, there's a lot of crossover with these endeavors. So this was a really fun episode. It's not one I expected to do in the early days of the podcast, but make all the sense in the world all these years later now that I've been talking about pizza so often. So if you're not familiar with them, give them a follow on the socials. If you plan on visiting NYC anytime soon, you're definitely going to want to take one of his tours. I know that I'm going to the next time I'm back in the city. So look him up if you've never heard of him. He is a very well-regarded person in the pizza world, to say the very least. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Scott Wiener from Scott's Pizza Tours. Now, longtime listeners of the show will not be confused at all as to why I would be talking to this man. If this is your first time listening, you're like, I thought this was a guitar show. Here's the thing. It's a guitar. Sh- it pretends to be a guitar show, but it's really just my excuse to talk to people that uh, I think are cool, and I'm obsessed with pizza, and Scott happens to be a guitarist and musician as well. I don't know if most people know that, so it all kind of just slots together nicely, and here we are today uh, in our you know separate places, and I think we're going to have a great chat. Um, dude, so I think the first place to start, and one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on is because... You and I have this similar, I don't want to say similar path, but it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, similar things between what we do now. Uh, but you've taken it and put it on like super steroids. So I'm obsessed with like pedals and gear and nerding out on all aspects of that. And you are obsessed with pizza, clearly. You can identify pizza. It, you can identify the things that I know about pizza, largely I've taken from the content that you've put out and a few others. Um, so, but we've both found a way to make these weird obsessions into a livelihood somehow. And so that's what I think 
the main thing I wanted to talk about on top of our obvious shared interests here today. But um, let's uh, start from the top. Let's tell my my listeners may not be as familiar with you as I am. Maybe we start with uh, when did you start like becoming obsessed with pizza? How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I I think. Uh, around the same time you probably did, like uh, around the same time anyone on earth did, which is the earliest you can remember being at a birthday party or mm-hmm. a pizza party at school. You know, it's like, I don't have an early, early memory, but I know that whenever it was that I was first exposed to pizza, I think I got it right away that this was something that was, it's like a forever food, you know? Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. But but when that transition from being just a normal person into pizza, into being like, <laughs> oh, this is going to be my whole life, that didn't happen until right around like college. And I, it's too generous of an introduction for you to call me a guitarist because I'm more of a, I will play any instrument if it means that I'm going to get to travel and tour and go on an adventure. <laughs> and so in college, I love it. Yeah, I, I was like. I was like the drummer or guitarist or whatever. You needed somebody on tour and I was there. So I would tour with, mm-hmm. with bands from central New York where I went to college. And um, every time we went out on tour, we'd stop at pizzerias because that's cheap food. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's where I first learned about Frank Pepe's. I know your listeners can't see it, but you're wearing a Frank Pepe shirt right now. I am. Shout out uh, Eric Rossier, longtime supporter of the show. He sent me this as a as a gift one year, and it's one of my favorite shirts awesome. and reminders that I need to get to Frank Pepe's. You'll get there. Been there. It's on the other yeah. side of the country. But when I first started going to places like Pepe's and Sally's and all these other spots, it was part of the adventure of being on tour. And I think that's when the switch flipped because I realized that people have such allegiance to Frank Pepe's or to mm-hmm. Lou Malnati's in Chicago or I don't know, name your emos in st louis and and i just thought that that was so cool that people have this allegiance to their local pizzeria and and then when i got back home to new jersey where i'm from i was like well the adventure continues i gotta go to all these famous pizzerias in new york i gotta like spend some time doing all this cool stuff and visiting pizzerias and then um one thing led to another and i started doing pizza tours in 2008 all based on the fact yeah yeah because i was well, I was touring with the band, and then mm-hmm. when that band fell apart, I was like, well, I really like the touring, adventuring kind of thing. How do, I, how do I pull that into this whole pizza obsession? And that's when I started doing tours in 2008. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was a little bit later for me, like, discovering the, the nuances of pizza. I think a lot of people's attitude, and this isn't necessarily wrong, is that, like, all, all pizza is good pizza, and there's just varying degrees of that. And I, I can make an argument for that, except for this one place that no longer exists here in Portland. Uh, that was a pretty bad pizza place. Um, but uh, I I feel like for me, it was the opening of a local pizzeria called uh, Mi Familia. And it's a wood-fired pizza place here in my hometown. And when that opened, it was like 15, 16 years ago. That was when I realized, I was like, wait a minute, there's there's levels to this game and different uh different techniques now it doesn't necessarily mean that like i i've fallen in love with like almost every regional style that i've tried but it's like oh there is there's a there's there's people who take it very seriously and people who kind of slap it together out of whatever they have on hand and i think you can tell a difference in 
the end product there. And that kind of started my whole obsession. And that was also around the turning point when Portland, where I'm from, started getting more like really serious pizza makers, I think. I feel like that's about the time it started happening. And so it was a, it's been kind of a weird journey to like take this very specific food and, <laughs> and become the mini version of yourself in, in my neck of the woods. Like, where do I go? Take me to the, I'm like, well, I don't know it like, like you do, but I definitely have. Yeah. But it's funny because you and I both had the same experience where you responded to something being so much better than what you'd had before or just so different. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's like with music, you know, once you hear somebody, it's like, whoa, that person's approaching this. It's the same tools, but they're approaching this in a completely different way. And it means something more to me. Same thing with, mm-hmm. with the pizza. And like Portland is a great place for pizza because people are experimenting way more than they do by and large in New York City. More experimentation right. in Portland. Right. Yeah. And it seems like we've we've had an influx of people that have uh the, they take these regional styles and it's like, okay, we do, you know, uh, say Chicago style thin crust, you know, which a lot of people, including myself, didn't even realize it was a thing till uh, Jerry. From I Jerry's was going to say, you, Jerry yeah. Benedetto, you probably know Jerry. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we've, we've talked a few times. I've consumed his pizzas as frequently as I possibly can due to the uh, limited nature. Those are some of my favorites. I absolutely love what that guy's doing. It's incredible. I still haven't been. Do you been. know him? I, I oh, know him from afar, but we, and we've talked, but I've never been. I will say this. He, he, he's got, he's one of those people's where people where the aesthetics of the pizza are so on point. And you're like, hmm, I wonder if it's going to live up to the, and it does. You get there, you grab a square, and it's like, whoa, whoa. I, I haven't talked to anybody yet that has had it and not been really impressed mm. with what he does. And the fact he started in his kitchen during the pandemic is, it's a great story. So hopefully I can get him on one of these days to tell it. But yeah, it's it's been wild. So it's interesting too, I feel like you came along at just the right time to where people would have been open to the idea of a pizza tour because that I think that seems kind of like a weird thing to to a lot of people. How was like when you opened your quote unquote doors, what was that experience like? Were people just kind of flooding in immediately? Did you have to really pull and scrape at first? What what happened? I was coming from a background having nothing to do with restaurants, food, tourism, any of that. And the business that I'm in is essentially a tourism business. So yes. I had no idea what I was doing, and I didn't know anything about tours. I had never really been on a tour, like any tour. I knew I knew what mm-hmm. they were, but when I started or when I was getting ready to start is when I went on my first tours. I was like, oh, I start my, I get my first tour in three weeks. I better go on some to figure it out. So <laughs> I didn't know what was going on, and the floodgates did not open, not not at all. But there was some press early on. Which I, you know, from my days in being in a band and touring and having to do our own press and, you know, get people out to shows when they didn't know anything about the band, I, I knew how to send out press releases and I did that. And so somebody showed up from the New York Daily News on the first tour. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was terrified because I was like, no, you're not coming because what if it sucks? And, right. I'm still figuring this out. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really almost said no. And I was like, well, gee, I, I can't have that attitude going through the whole thing because, if my attitude is always the fear, like, well, I don't want you to see a bad tour, then like that's my one shot. Well, it's probably not going to call the next week. 
So probably not. You're right. Yeah. So I just said, Oh, come on in. And then the first couple of weeks people signed up, but then, you know, it dropped off a little bit because you're right. It is a weird thing. And I was brand new at it. I had no track record. I'm 0% Italian, not born and raised in New York city, not like a big (laughs) flower covered stereotypical mustachioed guy. You know what I mean? Right. So a bit of a struggle. But yeah, but I, you know, I just kind of put my head down and learned all I could, like everything you're talking about with understanding, like what Jerry's doing with Midwestern Tavern style or any of the places that are going on doing great pizza. You just have to know what it is they're doing or how they're doing what they're doing. And then Mm -hmm. it makes the whole thing way more interesting. Is there, did you have, did you just kind of absorb the end product and try to figure it out from there? Did you start talking to these owners of these places and trying to dissect it? How did, how did you learn the things that you learned? Because you can't just, it's hard for me to imagine just starting to take people on a tour and just being able to bite into it and tell what's going on the way you can. Well, you have way more knowledge than that. Well, it starts with the, with curiosity. So the way that you've learned anything you've learned about like uh, I don't know what what different types of wood do to the resonance of a guitar or something like that. You know, like mm-hmm. it, you have to first have the question, right? There has right. to be something in your brain that says, "Hey, there's probably a difference between these different woods. You should find out what that is and why it is." And it's that mm-hmm. it's that interest that I started asking pizzerias those questions, and because they're not covered in books, it's not like a pizza book or a pizza history book ever really tells you the depth. So I just asked a lot of questions. And the more questions I asked, the better my questions became, which meant the more questions I'd ask. And it's a cycle that continues right. to this day, Blake. I, I was at dinner last night with a guy who imports flour and tomatoes from Italy. And I'm asking a million questions because the, like, the, the stuff, there's always more to learn. Mm-hmm. So it's just constant. Right. Yeah, it's it's not unlike music where there's there's almost unlimited possibilities with it. You know, you do kind of construct things in in certain constraints, of course. There's, you know, generally flour and, you know, sauce, <laughs> but like outside of that, it kind of it really balloons and and you, it it can be almost anything that you want it to be. Much the same as as a song can be once you approach it from that mindset. It's total it's a great metaphor for it because I think people get frustrated because they're like, oh, pizza, what is it? It's dough, sauce, and cheese, right? But that's like saying, I, that's like saying, oh, what, what's, what's um, the sound of, I don't know, I'm, the, you know, I'm just looking at your wall of guitars, I'm thinking about guitars. I'm like, well, what's that guitar and that guitar? They're just different shapes. But then you talk right. to somebody who cares about guitars, and it's like, what are you even talking about right now? You know? <laughs> because in the, way that, in the way that the sound of a guitarist is not just a guitar through effects through an amp. It's also what are the strings on that guitar? What's what pickups are in that guitar? What's the wiring like? It's every little step along the way matters. In the same way that a, a pizza maker will say, it's not dough, sauce, and cheese. It's flour, salt, water, and yeast, and the mm-hmm. nuances of each of those. It's tomato and how you crush it and how much salt you add. And it, it's, it's like all the details. That's where everything is. Right. I mean, and then, you know, outside of like all of the ingredients and the, 
you know, the way you order effects or uh, toppings or whatever. Then you have the actual pizza maker who's designed the whole system around the kitchen. You know, if you take Jerry and put him into the kitchen at Joe's, you know, at Carmine Street with, you know, with free reign, is it going to come out the same as what Joe's does? Maybe close, but like probably not exactly the same. Much the same way as when I fret a note, I don't sound the same as, you know, Kirk Hammett from Metallica, even if I played the same note, it's not going to be exactly the same because of the little nuances in our fingers and the amount of pressure and whatever else, you know, he may take the same recipe and it's like, oh, but he, you know, he tossed it this way instead of that way. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that gives a slightly different texture that people can pick up on if you're really paying attention. That's what I really like about subcultures, whether it's a guitar subculture or pizza subculture, it doesn't matter, is that somebody outside of that subculture sees the painting from a distance and it looks sharp. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in the subculture, you're really close to the painting. And that's when you see the strokes of the brush. And right. we like, you think, Oh, the strokes of the brush are the cool part. And the person who's not in that subculture, they just, they don't even know that you can step closer. And then once they do, it might be too <laughs> much. Their mind might explode. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I'm sure like you, you were talking to somebody who primarily imports flour and tomatoes, right? Most people don't even realize that's a job, you know, same in, in the way I am, you know, involved with so many different effects manufacturers and people will ask me sometimes, well, yeah, well, what do you do? And it's like, well, I have the pot. I have to like adjust my answer depending on who I'm talking to and what I think, how long I want this conversation to be because there's so <laughs> many aspects to it. But if, if the, word guitar pedal ever comes up half the time they're like what's what do you, what do you mean what's a guitar pedal mm. i don't understand and then most people get like a wah-wah pedal but that's all the extent that they think that it is mm. these days yet there's hundreds of thousands potentially millions of people who will spend all of their time listening to shows like this watching different pedal reviews watching the jhs show on youtube and it's just all about this one part this one part of the guitar signal that when then you bust it open and then there's a million other parts inside it that people will go down to like, well, that doesn't have the right diode. So it can't possibly be, you know, X, Y, and Z. Some of that gets down to the point of diminishing returns, but you're absolutely right. The subcultures get tied up in the minutia sometimes. And I think it can go both ways. Sometimes it's wonderful to appreciate the brush strokes, but then we can lose sight of the painting at the same time and just be like, oh, we're so worried about whether this pepperoni's curled or not. We can't decide whether this is actually a good slice. Yeah, right. Or understanding, well, why does pepperoni even curl? What is the thing that's happening? Why do we like it? Does it? Mm-hmm. Am I just liking it because it looks good on an Instagram picture? Or is there something going on that I actually like about it? It's the same mm-hmm. arguments happen in guitar effects that they do in cooking because it's it's yeah. all about. But the minutia is where it gets fun. Yes, it is. And I, but I totally agree <laughs> with you that if you can't enjoy, like if I can't enjoy a crappy slice of pizza, then everything's mm-hmm. lost. Absolutely. You got it. Yeah. Like I'm not a snob at all. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine was over here before, and he was like, oh, can you, can you go back to that pre-pizza tour life when, when you did just eat a slice and not think about it? And the answer is no. I can't. No. 
but then I guess the secondary question is like, is that a bad thing? Like when you listen to music, are you always on it thinking about what's going on behind the scenes or is part of you able to still listen to it as an emotional listener? That's a very good question. Uh, I think it's been more difficult to listen to things emotionally, um, especially in the last few years. But I think like recording my own music, I had to get the listeners have heard this story a million times, but I had to get out of my own way because so much of my time was spent like, here, let me show you what this distortion sounds like and just kind of playing some random thing. And it was all about showing the single ingredient. It was all about showing what that pedal sounds like in this random context that I decided to assign to it. And I had to get out of my own way and realize like, I'm so spoiled. I have all this rad gear. I have a place to record that most people don't have access to. And I can play pretty much whenever I want, however loud I want. And it's, it's a very fortunate place to be. And yet I was still kind of distracted by the minutia and making sure that I was telling folks about it, which is, you know, part of my job and that's never going to go away. But I wasn't playing music for music's sake. I was just playing it for the gear's sake. And so in 2021, I'm, I threw that temporarily into the trash and was just like, I'm making a record and I don't care what pedals I use. I don't care what style it is. I don't care how it comes out. I'm just going to make a record to make a record. And that's it. No, no other goals other than does this sound like something I want it to sound like. And I was able to do that. And that helped get my brain back into why did you even love this stuff in the first place? Like why, what, I didn't start becoming obsessed with pedals because I was obsessed with pedals. It was because I heard a sick riff or a super awesome song that I loved and fell in love with the music first. And I had to kind of rewire myself to get back to that. And last night was a, another good example. I went to a show that uh, I wasn't sure I'd ever get to see again. The, uh, the Gaslight Anthem reunited and kicked off their their tour, their US tour here in Portland. And I'm friends with some of those guys. And so even then it was like, oh, I know, I know them and I know, you know how their brains work to us to a small degree, or at least how they think about effects and music. And, and so I'm kind of thinking about that watching them perform, which is, I think, not something that most of the people in the audience could say. But at the same time, when they kick into a handful of my favorite songs. That is why I fell in love with their music in the first place. I mean, I was able to get in that mosh pit and just have a good time like everybody else. And I was not thinking about, I wonder what order Brian has his pedals in. <laughs> I wonder, I was like, I was just like, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm back in, you know, 2007 or whenever that song was, was first released. And I'm rocking out to it. Like I heard it for, you know, the first time. And so I think, I think music has that capability to rewire that in a very immediate sense uh, because I, I didn't actively choose to start thinking in that way. It just like, all right, now I'm back to this mode again, which is genuinely, I think, more enjoyable in a general sense, you know, the, rather than dissecting, constantly dissecting and being analytical about everything. Hey, if you enjoy both those things, then all the better. There's, there's nothing True. wrong with loving the the tweaker side of things mm -hmm. uh, unless it becomes a problem but you don't have that problem because you have the shred shed <laughs> not me i have a, an apartment in brooklyn where i can't play as loud as i want because my neighbor will 
will do the broomstick thing to my my, brain, <laughs> you know. Seriously, like I I yeah, it's same. But maybe that's why pizza became an, a better outlet for me because I can do that silently. I can make pizza. That's true. And as you're talking about dissecting things, it's got me thinking about when I make pizza. I'm usually trying to emulate what's going on in famous pizzerias because that mm-hmm. helps me teach it on tours. Absolutely. And on our classes that we do. But I, what you just said, like I said, oh, screw it. I'm just going to make a record. I'm like, wow, I've never just said, oh, I want to make the pizza that I want to make. Because mm-hmm. that's not really why I make pizza. I, really, I make it to learn. But oh. maybe I should give myself a couple months of just making it the way I want to make it. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at Maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. Well, that leads me down a, a, to a question I was going to ask later, but, you know, with all these experiences, obviously you've made a lot of pizza. You know how to make a good pie in various styles. Have you ever thought, and I'm sure this question has been posed to you before, have you ever thought, I'm going to open my own spot sometime? I never want to do that. Okay. Because I don't right. find joy in the repetition, in the mechanic. I, like, I find joy in the execution, but I... I get enough out of making six, seven pizzas in a row. That's enough. I, I don't want to make because also I would be afraid that that's turning the food into the product. And on our tours, the food is not the product. It's the it's the education. And you can't sell education in a restaurant because then everyone's like, "We get it. You're locally sourced. You're f- fifty eight hour fermentation. <laughs> we get it. Just give me the freaking pizza. I'm hungry. I, I don't." I don't find any joy in that myself. I would rather Got celebrate it. other people who are out there doing it. Well, and that's wonderful. I love 
this has been a reoccurring theme on the last few episodes and really the whole podcast, but especially the last few episodes. I think it's really important for people to realize what it is that makes themselves happy on a day-to-day basis or, or what they enjoy about certain processes or things that they do on a regular basis. Because so much of our time is spent doing just, especially, you know, if you're not self-employed or you're doing like a nine to five type operation, there are so many pieces of our day that are consumed by things that are kind of like, ah, I don't care about this. But we all have things that we enjoy. And I think recognizing what those are and recognizing why you enjoy those things will help you to spend more time doing them and therefore enjoying life a little bit more. So the fact that you're like, clearly, I think because it's a pretty obvious connection to most people. Well, a lot of people were like, why don't you start a guitar store if if you're so obsessed with guitar? And I was like, I appreciate those that do start cool guitar stores because I love going to them. But similarly, I would not find any joy in running a, a guitar store. I like to go to there and rifle through the bins and see what's there, but I wouldn't want to be the one putting the bins together and the displays and that's just not not what makes, what makes me tick. And I, I think the restaurant is something that seems obvious to the outsider. Like, well, you know so much about pizza. You should start a pizza place. But you've recognized very, very quickly, it seems like, nah, that isn't it for me. It's, it's the same idea as like not every football fan wants to be a linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the joy, you got to understand the joy, where you're getting the joy and what it does. And also the fact that like doing these tours and what we do with Slice Out Hunger and all that, it's plenty to deal with. I don't feel like yes. it's any higher level to run a pizzeria or to run a guitar no. store or, or whatever. Because then at that point it turns into, like, like I worked at a recording studio and I thought, oh, owning a recording studio, this guy who owns it must be like, really creative and passionate and all that. And then one day he said to me, he said, music has nothing to do with the recording studio business. It's basically like running a hotel. Your, your, the job of his job as the owner was to make sure the rooms were ready and clean and that the gear was in working order and that the coffee was fresh. And it had nothing to do with creativity on his side besides like buying the good gear. But he's like, it's just like, it's running a hotel. You're just renting out a room. Wow. I never thought of it that way. <clears throat> and it makes because sense. I've it's sad, but it's, yeah. it's true. It is true. It is true. I mean, unless you are the owner and also the one getting your hands on the knobs and, you know, doing the engineering sessions. But even then, it's you're limited to what time you have because you have to run the hotel aspect for quote unquote, for a better, you know, lack of a better term. You have to do that as the owner of the studio. And if you want to do the engineering side, which is, I I imagine, why most studio owners get into it in the first place, you still have limited time to do that. And you probably need people to be in the studio recording more often than you could be there engineering everything. So you you only get one small piece of that. Unless you love run the hotel aspect. Some people may love the hotel well, aspect. Well, it's the same you know? thing with running pizza tours or what anybody who's listening to this probably has to deal with is like I running the tours is only a part of what it is to run the business. There's yes. so much admin and training and making sure your equipment is great or that your stuff's in the right place. Like it, today I'm gonna spend most of the day today doing prep work. That's not a, I'm not doing a tour today, but 
it's prep work that helps tours happen. And that's mm-hmm. the work. So in a sense, even running a pizza tour business is kind of like running a hotel. Because a little bit. Yeah, yeah, well, the customer service that you get what doing what we do is like, I booked my tour on the wrong day. Can you reschedule me? Uh, you know, it's 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 l- the logistics of getting to the tour. The tour itself is the least work of the whole thing. Right. Well, and that's something I say over and over again. My favorite part of what I do is this, this part right yeah. here. But getting people to listen to this and getting people to be, you know, to see the value in taking the time to come on and, you know, the scheduling and the blah and the paperwork and the blah, 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 that all is just, just comes with the territory. I'm not even trying to complain about it. It's just, it's what it is. It comes with running a business. There's, you're never going to spend all of your time doing the part that you really enjoy. My, my main point with trying to emphasize that is like, just try to spend as much time doing that as you can. You're going to have a bunch of nonsense that you have to do along with it that isn't necessarily fun for anybody. I don't think there's a ton of people out there whose favorite thing is rescheduling <laughs> misske- you know, well, misscheduled pizza tours. What's your least favorite part of what you do? Um, it, it varies. Obviously, like books and taxes. Yeah. I, don't, I hate that part. I hate it so much. Uh, but it's completely necessary because there there are very simple things. It can be very complicated too, but there are very simple things that if you're not aware of when running a small business that just cost you for no reason other than you just weren't aware, you know? And it's like, wow, if I had if I had known that, I wouldn't be spending thousands of dollars right now. But here I am basically burning money that I would rather put back into the business or you know, myself. Um, so that aspect of it, I kind of hate, but it's, there's no getting around it in this country or any other country. There's, there's the tax man's always there. You always got to work with them and try to figure all that crap out, which is never fun. I don't think, but, uh, unless you're the tax man, then it's pretty fun, I guess. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, that, that one's pretty obvious for anybody, but the one that's kind of eating at me lately is just the, the the need for constant input on the, the the internet's need for constant input of content and i don't mean the show i mean all the things i do to try to grab people's attention for half a second so that they can maybe find their way to the show eventually you know yeah like and the social media stuff the social media stuff is is become it's the whole reason i have a job so i'm not trying to you know complain about it too much but i'm also it's I'm getting to that point where like it's going to be break time here pretty soon just because I'm getting burned out. And I know that if I take a break, when I come back to it, I'll be refreshed and have better ideas and, you know, and all that. So right now that's kind of weighing on me. I'm like, I'm kind of tired of, of posting random, not, not random. I always try to put thoughts into it, but like I'm tired of constantly thinking about what I need to post on social in order to get people over to this show, which ultimately is what, pays the bills and what I like to do. So Yeah. Well, cuz isn't it cool that at the end of the day you get to spend your time talking about gear and guitar stuff and whatever pizza stuff every once in a while like it, that's pretty cool. Like I I can never really complain because I spend every day talking about pizza. Exactly. Absolutely. But it's all relative. There's always I, stuff that that you you don't love doing and but that small price to pay, you know, if it if I got to spend a day and a half doing bookkeeping every month, 
I'll, I'll take that. Sure. Over having yeah, a real job. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I hope that didn't come across as too complainy because no, I, no. this is a, I'm like feel truly, truly blessed to be able to do this, and and it's 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 a very odd thing, and it's a very niche thing, and not very many people do get to do it. So I'm not trying to complain, but uh, <laughs> sometimes it is like it's if sometimes well, for instance, sometimes I'm not doing music stuff in my downtime. You know, it'll be completely unrelated. That's where pizza comes in often. Yeah, actually. I want to hear like, about your. Uh, like because pizza is clearly a part of your life so clearly oh uh, oh oh yeah absolutely absolutely and my first time in new york really was extremely eye-opening because at that point i was like yeah it looks really good but it still kind of looks like pizza like how different can it really be you know uh, yada yada i was i was kind of skeptical even though i had lots of friends tell me otherwise and uh, people that i trusted their taste buds you know i still was like yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel like you're maybe going too far with this. When was your first trip to New York? 2000, probably 2015, I'm and guessing. And where did you have pizza? The first place I had was Joe's on Carmine And how'd you feel about it? I thought, I was like, you've been an idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was, because I, I was, I was still even up to uh, like holding it in my hand. I was like, still looks like pizza. And I folded it up. I took a bite. I was like, oh, oh, I see. What was so different about it? You know, I think the the first thing was the immediate crunch. Like that crunch followed by the kind of very perfect softness to the crust. And it had just the right amount of grease on it. You know, that was one of my first experiences where it took me a while to figure out that I always thought if pepperoni pizza, that's what you go with everywhere. That's how you test. And then I realized, no, it's the cheese slice that you test with. That's because I actually like their cheese slice slightly better than their pepperoni slice there. Absolutely. It's, it's the cheese slice. And so now that is, that is my go-to test for anywhere I go is, is the cheese slice. I go there first and be like, can they do this well? And I analyze what I do and do not like about it but yeah it was joe's and then from there yeah we we, we hit several places in new york city and, and uh by by no means all of them um but we're we we've been twice and it's just not even close to enough what were the highlights pizza wise and what were the lowlights yeah, what disappointed you nothing disappointed me honestly like I, I wish I could remember the the name of the the small place that was just right next to our hotel. Um, we were staying just off Broadway somewhere, and there was a small walk up slice window that I have a picture of the sign somewhere in my phone, but I can't remember. Remember it what hotel it was or what street it was? Oh my! This is this is challenging worry, my rather feeble brain. <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but even that was just solid. I was like, this is just. A, I mean, this is my favorite slice that I've had. But it's very good, and it's right here. So that's the, you know, I think it's, that's what people forget about New York is that it's not like you can't make great pizza elsewhere. You live in Portland; you can make great pizza in Portland. People do it, but in New York, mm-hmm. it's about the cultural aspect of pizza and how we treat pizza in New York. Yes, it's everywhere. The one that's close to you is usually pretty decent. A lot of mm-hmm. the pizzerias in New York City are not destination worthy. Like 
the place is in Midtown. You're not going to go out of your way for it. Right. But downtown in Brooklyn and the Bronx, you get some destination places. But the beauty in New York is not just about those 20 or 30 really amazing destination places. It's about the the place that's on every corner is usually decent enough, especially if you've been out of New York for a while. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's the thing is like to get a slice that is in that ballpark for me, I have to drive probably 15 minutes, which isn't bad. You know, that's not no. like forever, but it's also not right next door. You know, so what, what, there's something to what that. What about for pizza by the slice? Let's just talk about by the slice. Mm-hmm. What do you like in Portland? Uh, Scotty's. Yeah, love it. Yep, Scotty's definitely. Uh, that's probably my favorite. Uh, Scotty's and Pizza Jerk are probably my favorite by the slice places. Well, have you met Scotty? Do you know Scotty? No, we've just I've just seen him back there doing his thing. You've, I don't. You've got to talk. Him. He's a guitar player. Is he? Yeah. Oh man, he's a guitar oh, player. And ask him if you can hear his high school pop punk band. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll shoot him a message. You try, I know you will love it. We, we spent That's the drive. Phenomenal. We drove to Atlantic City for a pizza show together once. Um, we've been friends for years. And we spent the whole drive listening to each other's bands from like 20 years ago. Yes. And it was amazing. <laughs> so Scotty Rivera is one of the most – he's so wonderful. I love him. And uh, yes. yeah, talk to him. That was that was a fun experience too because um, that was – this was several years ago, four, four or five years ago as when um, – it's kind of when Brian Fallon from Gaslight and I became a lot closer. He was in town. He wanted to go check out the Benson Amp shop. And we got done doing that. And he, I'm like, you need lunch? He's like, yeah, what do you want? I was like, you want pizza? He's like, you, you sure? You know, you sure about the, the Portland pizza shop? I was like, let's go to Scotty's. Yeah. And we went to Scotty's. He's like, wow, this is legit. Like, this is really, really good. And then he felt it was good enough that he had to announce that on stage that night. Like, you know what? You guys actually have really good pizza here. You know? He so said that? It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's from New Jersey too. Yeah. So that's a fairly strong endorsement in my book. Wow. That was, so that was fun. You, Scotty's pizza jerk. Totally great spot. What, what about mm-hmm. your, uh, other non by the slice places? What else are you really loving lately in Portland? Demos. Demos of pizza. I haven't been. I don't hurt. know it. Oh, I'm writing it down. Yeah, you got to go to Demos. Demos is a is a New Haven style pizza, uh-huh. and oh my, the I don't know how. Like on every pizza that they do, but the pizza the the cheese sauce combo the crust is incredible. The crust is absolutely. Like from what I can gather and what I my limited research has told me, it's very accurate to a New Haven style slice. There's like a multi-step baking process they go through to try to recreate some of it, hmm. and they. Uh, but the the cheese and the sauce combo, it's such a perfect balance. Like every time I bite into one of their pies, I'm like, what? How how is this flavor explosion happening in my mouth? It's such good flavor. Demos is is definitely. I'm looking it up <clears throat> Definitely right in my spot. Wait, wait, yeah. Demos, D-E-M-O or D-I-M-O? D-I-M-O. Yeah, Demos a pizza. It's, uh, it's, abitz. it's so good. Demos a beats. Yep. A beats. Which is funny because at 
at a place that's doing New Haven style, you would print, you would say a beats. But then yes. if you go to a beats shoals, he actually right. wants you to say it a pizza shoals. Yes, which throws us all off over here I because know. we're West Coast people and we're like, wait, what? I thought it I don't know what to say anymore. Yeah, it's like, is it a beats? I, is it a pizza? And Brian wants you to say a pizza shoals. Brian, you know yes. Brian. I don't know him. No. Guitar player. I know, what? Hey, there's a connection here. And and a actually, this is something to explore with us, is that there is a real connection between pizza makers and musicians. There, it seems to be at least in Portland, like restaurant owners in general and musicians, like more generally. But is it specific to pizza and guitar? That's what I wonder. That's a great question. I I. I, I think that just most, so many musicians, uh, at least like rock musicians, are guitar players. It's just more of them, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, band, how many drummers does your band need? Eh. But how many guitar players? I don't know. How many? There's no limit. Right. <laughs> One bass is fine. Mm-hmm. Unless, what was that, Big Bottom, where everyone's playing bass, Spinal Tap? That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great... Oh, any Spinal Tap reference on oh here? Oh my for. god, love it! So good, but yeah, those the, there's more though. There's a uh, Baby Doll Pizza is a good by the slice place. Ooh, I don't think I've been yeah. a Baby Doll. Baby Doll's great. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, let's see what what else we got. Um, one I haven't been to, but maybe you have because it's definitely one of the spots here. Is a uh, Gracie's. <gasps> It's up at, Never been, but I have their T-shirt and it's very soft. <laughs> well, that's important. You got to be comfortable. Gracie's a beats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have still not because every time I'm up in St. John's, it's usually the middle of the day, and I'm like just south of Portland, so it's actually a little bit of a, oh, yeah. a hike to try to get there. And so they, I think they serve around dinner time, and so I'm just not usually there around dinner time. But I will make a point to do it next time I'm in town. We're going to go there because my, my brother lives in Portland. So I'm there probably twice a year. Ah, yes. And I need to go to Gracie's. Need to. Yes. Need to do it. And Jerry's. You do. I need Jerry's. Jerry, we got to get the tavern open. Yeah. He's working I, on it. He's working it, on it. I, I know. I know. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. It's more than I could probably imagine. Like, Especially how specific he is with what he wants and needs. And it's it's also tough. Like we're going through this weird growing pains phase of the pizza world where we're in a golden age right now. Like golden Absolutely. age is maybe the wrong phrase. I think it's a long-term golden age of like 10 years, but we're in a really mm-hmm. amazing spot right now where like, especially in the middle of the pandemic, all these people were making incredible pizza at home or in small pop-ups. Yeah. Low overhead. They weren't so much worried about profit. They were just making amazing pizza, and it wasn't in a restaurant, so pretty inexpensive. And then that dream is just dying right now because now some people are saying, "Oh, I'm going to step up and make it legit, open up a shop." But that brings with it a whole new batch of problems. Now the pizza huge, that you used huge. to, yeah, well, you know, now the same pizza you're charging the same seventeen dollars a pizza, and suddenly. Most of that money has to go to rent and electricity and all this stuff that you took for granted when you were doing it under the radar. Right, exactly. I mean, insurance, you know, like there's so, so many things that go into what something actually costs. You know, that's something that I, that I'm constantly talking about with people. So I'm, 
I'm partners with Scott Marcourt, who uh, is my partner in Stringjoy Guitar Strings. And so we're making stuff down there in Nashville. And the amount, I had no idea how granular we would have to get. It's crazy. Wait, I didn't realize and, this. You have a guitar string company? Yeah, I'm, I'm a minority partner in it. But yeah, we uh, we make strings down in, in Nashville. And it's a... It's a wild adventure <laughs> to try to do that as a sustainable business, yeah. but he's very, very good at pretty much every aspect of it. So that's, uh, I feel fortunate to be along for the ride. That's wild. But yeah, as we said before, when you get close to something, you realize how much depth there is. Exactly. Well, and then I, like most people, were like strings are strings, right? And that's what I thought. The first time he, the, re, the reason we got hooked up is he hit me up to come on the, this podcast around episode 20. And I literally thought to myself, like strings, we're going to talk about strings for an hour. <laughs> How's that going to even be possible? Fast forward to now, I spend anywhere from 30 minutes to three and a half hours on the phone with that guy every single day talking about strings, you know, five, at least five days a week talking about some aspect of the string making business, which is so much more complicated than I ever would have imagined. Yeah. Like I, I'm just thinking about it right now and just different styles of strings, different packaging, uh, you know, combinations of gauges. Like there's, it's, it's kind of infinite. The, the little ball at the end of the string, mm-hmm. how many twists you do? I don't know. Yeah. No, you got it. It's, that's a lot of it. And one of the big things that a lot of people don't think about, they're like a 46 is a 46, right? They're both the same size. They're both made of the same material. They both are wire wrapped around wire. It's the same thing, right? It's like, well, no, but there's different ways to get to these various gauges, especially on like bass strings. Mm. Bass strings will have multiple wraps, you know? So you might have three wraps on a really heavy gauge bass string or more. And the wires that you choose to get to that, that same overall diameter will affect how it feels and plays. And there's compromises in, in every direction bendability versus sustain versus output with blah, 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 blah. There's all these different things that go into making a string perform the way you think that it should, you know? Mm. And uh, it's just like how big the core is versus the wrap wire, how compressed the wrap wire is around that core. Cause some, you can do it looser or tighter and how do you how tight even, the winds are together? I mean, I guess maybe he would know more, but how do you even know what questions to ask? You know, it's it really started happening when when you get your hands into it, mm. right? You can you can ask some of these questions as an outside person, especially if you like visit. Well, mo- like most brands that you see are white labeled. Not all of them, but most of them are made by an outside party. Now that doesn't mean that all of them are the same. Mm. A lot a lot of them are. That doesn't mean that that all of them are the same, even if they come like, from what, the same place. What's an place. example? What What are two brands that come from the same place and are probably the same string? Uh, well, I can. A, a better example would be two brands that come from the same place that are definitely not the same string. Would be uh, Fender strings are made by Diderio, or at least as far as I'm aware, they the last last manufacturer I was aware of was was they were made by Diderio there mm. in New York. But if you look at the specs when you dissect a Fender string versus a Daddario string, they're very, very different. Because it's Fender like, wants different. It's a spec thing. Fender, wants, Fender just doesn't want to exactly. manufacture. They used to make their own. Fender used to have their own factory in Mexico, and they would do all their own stuff. And for some reason, no one's 100% sure why, they, they closed it down. 
Uh, and, but they carried, they had those people go to Diderio. This is all through the grapevine stuff. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of speculation here. Um, they had those people go to Diderio and be like, this is how we want our stuff to be made. I got to so look this kind up. Of, I think I had people from the Diderio family on a tour once. That wouldn't shock me at all. They're New York based. And I remember they told me, very likely. and I think they sent me a bunch of strings. I gotta look that up. Would make a lot of sense. But anyway, that's fascinating. So both from the same manufacturer, but but different. Yeah. Dario has publicly said actually that thirty percent of their output goes to OEM. Now that could mean guitar manufacturers who mm-hmm. just have them on as factory strings, or I know they do white label as well. Um, so there's also the some of the the smaller brands, especially not necessarily. I shouldn't exclusively say that, but there are brands where all their strings they come from different places mm. right and and even ours in the very beginning were like that because scott had it started as a custom shop this has turned into a big commercial sorry everybody uh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting though yeah. it's, you know yeah. it's interesting yes scott scott started basically with like he he when he was a kid he was buying different sets from different places and putting them together into a custom set that he liked and then throwing all the rest of it in the garbage. And he was like, this can't, can't be, I've got the set of strings I'm looking for, but this can't be the best way to do this. And so he started looking into like, how can I provide this service for other people without so much waste? And that led him to, you know, finding different manufacturers who would make for him. And so, yeah, he might like the 46 from one place and this other gauge from this other place and blah, blah, blah. And so he did, piece things together based upon what he was looking for. Hmm. And then over time, one of the manufacturers that were our primary source, he would go there and visit the factory and be like, no, I want it done this way. And it basically became such a pain. The guy was kind of like, you know what? How about you just take these two machines and do it yourself? Wow. <laughs> and that's when the learning really happened when it was like, because immediately they, they bought those two machines from him or we bought those two machines from him. Uh, I was there the day the guy flew out, showed us the basics of how to operate them. And within two hours, there was already things that he was like, oh, we're going to do that different. We're going to do that different. We're going to do that different. And that was just on the first day. So it's it's been quite a process. It's been really, really, really wild. So it's, it's, it's again, this is all just to show how granular some of this stuff can really get. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, 
Chaseless Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chaseless and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my plane dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossing, I invite you to head over to chaseblintsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. And th- but that's what's fun about it. I really feel like there's nothing out there that's that's exciting without getting granular. Like like being a a car person, you mm-hmm. you get into the into the little nitty gritty. Being a I don't know a movie fan, a baseball fan. You know, be, be, I'm not a sports guy, but people who are sports fans, they know the stats of the player and what's going on. And there are so many people out there. It's like it's not a subculture; it's a culture. So many oh, people, hundred yeah. percent. But then you look at the same thing for guitar players or pizza lovers or whatever, and then and then it's weird. But we're not doing anything different <laughs> from what the football fans are doing. <clears throat> no, no, and it. I think that's the thing is is we can be nerds about everything, right? Like literally everything. And I think it used to be reserved for like comic book nerds or science nerd. That term used to be kind of derogatory and used to talk about somebody who was just really passionate about one thing. And I think as we've, especially with the rise of the internet, we've grown to realize that everyone's nerdy about something. Some people are nerdy about gardening. Some people are nerdy about pizza. Some people are nerdy about guitar pedals. It's just, we all like to get to that granular level with something. And that passion is what makes it interesting. Ultimately. Do you think there's a point at which somebody approaching it from the outside gets so overwhelmed that they're sort of turned away or is there enough out there that somebody could be like, Oh, I want to understand more about guitar pedals and, and get into it because of all the depth. I, I think that that it goes both ways. You know, I think, I think people could, I know for me, the first time I started like really thinking about trying to learn about guitar tone and trying to learn about, what because it was always like i can never make my guitar sound like what it sounds like on these records it just doesn't it's not working and when i first started diving into that i thought to myself well maybe this is more than my brain can handle because these people are taking it to a level that i i just like absolutely do not understand and then i realized like you know really it comes down to i think with everything that's hands on like this you got to just plug it in and try it <laughs> you just got to try it that's good advice and then and you figure out what what works for you and what doesn't you just have to try the thing do you remember what was that first guitar tone that you heard that you were trying to emulate <laughs> you're going to you're probably going to laugh at me of course i'm going to laugh uh, at you yeah <laughs> i remember hearing the sound of the downtuned guitars on like Lincoln Park records. And like my dad played guitar, but 
but I, I never heard anything like that come from his guitars, even when he would plug in and play electric. And I'd ask him, how do they, how do they get this sound? And he's like, I don't know. Like that sludgy, you know, thick, yet, yeah. yet de- like detailed enough to hear. I thought it was bass. I thought that's what I was hearing. I was like, oh, this must be a bass guitar, because when I play the slowest note on my dad's guitar, yeah. it doesn't, it's not even close. It's not even close to that. I didn't know you could tune the guitar down. I thought you. I thought guitars were just tuned to whatever standard tuning was. I didn't even know what that was at the time, and I didn't know. So I had just what got you no to that idea. tone was step one. Was it just down tuning? Was that step one of it? And then was it effects after that, or like how did it, it took, you get? It that? took me forever. I, I kind of I kind of got sidetracked. So at that point, I wasn't even really playing. We were forming a band, quote unquote, of the friend of friends, right? And we're like, you're gonna be the drummer, you're gonna be the whatever, you're gonna be the whatever. And so, but I was like, I for at some point I was gonna be a bassist. And then I didn't even I didn't know what that meant. I had I had no idea what like what a bass guitar was even supposed to sound like. I just knew that bands had a bass guitar. Yeah. You know? And then I then I was gonna be a drummer, so I was a really, really terrible drummer for a while, and eventually somehow started playing acoustic guitar. My earliest memory of like having it click was playing, you know, smells like teen spirit on my beanbag and learning that, like learning that by myself with no help. Uh, And I was like, Oh, maybe I can actually do it. And I was showing my parents, look, I learned this song. And they're like, cool. That's awesome. (laughs) So it was a long way. It was a, when I discovered Drop D, you know, like three years later, then that's when I was starting like, oh, wait, maybe Linkin Park was doing, oh, <laughs> they were probably taking this further, you know, not realizing how much further they were taking and Slipknot and all of those kind of bands from that era. I, that's when I discovered like Drop D and Drop C. Then I started to figure out, oh, there's a lot more range to this instrument than I had previously realized. Yeah, you can get out of the, out of the box with all of it. Definitely. Well, hey, uh, we're getting close to the end, and I actually have some questions for you from the Tone Mob Facebook group. Ooh. Um, yeah, I told them, I, I actually, the post I made was because I, I, I talk about pizza on every episode, but I said the, the metamorphosis is, is complete. I'm interviewing Scott Weiner from Scott's Pizza Tours about guitar stuff and pizza got questions. And so uh, some people did indeed have questions. Let's see how many of these are, are goofy and how uh, how many of them are actual questions. Let's dive in here. Okay, Jake Young. Jake Young wants to know, what are some of the strangest ingredients that you've had, I assume, that were shockingly good? Great question. So I I have a lot of experience with this because I had a show with Thrillist called Really Dough where epi, every episode was uh, at a different pizzeria. We'd order the weirdest thing and then debate whether or not it was actually a pizza. And mm-hmm. I also judge at pizza competitions that have no rules, so any, you can do anything you want. It's called the non-traditional category. So I've eaten a lot of bonkers pizza. And I'll tell you, yeah, some of the best pizza I've had that you thought was going to be messed up and, and terrible, I had one with bacon, jalapeno, normal stuff, no problem, but yeah. apple and peanut butter. That was a combo. I, I can... I can... I can make those pencil in my brain. They, it's it worked weird. great with the peanut butter. I was shocked. I, I've had pizza with uh, little gelatinized, gelatin-encased balsamic vinegar beads. What? So when you take a bite, you like 
kind of bursts a little bit. That was crazy. I can also make that work in my, my brain. That's a, I love balsamic vinegar. Yeah, so. and his little droplets, mm-hmm. like you can hold them in your hand and then pop them and then balsamic. That was nice. crazy. I have mangoes work on pizza and lime juice is a great combo. Mangoes? Yeah. Mangoes, really? Yeah. Huh, but okay. Wait, All right. forget that. Forget about pizza being sauce and cheese. Pizza is dough okay. that's weighed down during the bake. That's it. So, Whoa. yeah, d- don't worry about tomato sauce. A white pizza <clears throat> with mango, uh, cilantro, pickled red onions. I mean, come on. It's so good. Mm, that is, that's getting out there. I mean, I'll try it. I'll try just about anything. I'm, I'm telling you, this is a good question because there are some really good pizzas out there that you would think are terrible. But they're good. <laughs> All right, let's see. Carl Platt's. Place that has surprisingly good pizza? I'm assuming that means like you look at it and you're like, mm, I don't know about this place. And then you go in and it's legit or just really good or better than better than it has any reason to be. I kind of added some uh, some questions there to his question. But I've, I think that's what he means. I've found that pizza very often looks really good but doesn't taste good. And it's less often that it looks bad but tastes good. But I do mm. think that there's some deep dish pizza that looks so aggressive and looks like it's going to be too much. And then I'll eat it and I'll be like, wow, this is actually totally legit and totally good. Okay. Uh, Pequod's in Chicago, I think is a great pizza that looks like it's going to be a disaster. Yes, it does. But I would try it. Yeah. And it's great. Mm-hmm. And I also think the New Haven places, they all look burnt. But when you eat them, it's perfect. Yeah. I can see that. I've, that was the, it's not a quite a New Haven style, but the one I men- mentioned, Mi Familia here, the, the people around here were not accustomed to that. And that was sometimes the complaint. They would come out and they're like, it looks burnt. I'm like, but you need to bite into it and decide whether it actually is burnt. It's charred. Is it burnt though? Can you imagine living That's your life question. only eating boiled chicken? You gotta have I, uh, grilled, barbecued, oh. smoked chicken. Like, come on. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. That's that's terrible. And, uh, there are some dishes that boiled chicken was great, but I, I not for my whole life. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Not for every meal. All right. Let's see what else we got in here. Now we're gonna ask that later. That's not really a question. This is. I don't know if you're gonna want to answer this one, and feel free not to answer this one. Because, you know, we are, we are in a public space, and this is a little bit of a pointed question. Ryan Burke of the, uh, from the 60 Cycle Hum podcast and YouTube channel, he wants to know, what's the worst pizza you've ever had? I can say this definitely without naming names, but okay. I remember it was in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. In Brooklyn? Yeah. This is already shocking me. And it's the only pizza that I've ever not swallowed. And, yeah, the crust was the texture of a used kitchen sponge that's been used, like, three months too long and left out to dry. You know, this, like, tough, like, Mm -hmm. it's not food. The sauce was sinuous. And acidic. Ooh. And yeah, it, I'm going to use a word putrid. 
It was a putrid sauce. Oh. And then the cheese was people joke about rubbery cheese all the time, but this was legit rubbery. Like you couldn't, my body can handle a lot of foods. I didn't think my body was going to handle that cheese. I never will forget it. Cause I went into the place, somebody emailed me and they said, Oh, I saw an article about you. And if you're such an expert, you got to know about this place. So I went and got the slice, brought it out to my car. Cause I didn't want to eat it in front of the people who worked there. And sure, sure. sat in there, took a bite. And I remember like opening the car door and just kind of spitting it into the gutter. I felt so terrible. Oh. oh, the place is not there anymore. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So that my the I the place I was talking about was earlier was also in St. John's, um, but it was the only place that would deliver to my old work, and we were not really allowed to leave that place once we once we got there because of like it's like national not national, but like public safety stuff dealing with chemicals and yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever that you had to be there. And it, it makes sense. It sounds worse than they they locked the doors. They wouldn't let us leave. No, it was like, it makes sense. Somebody has to be there at all times. Um, so we would have delivery occasionally and it was the only place that would deliver at the time to us. And at first I would eat it, but similarly, like the crust was just, it wasn't what you were describing, but it was so dense in a bad way just so so dense that i'd bite it and i'm like am i just eating like the world's thickest most i don't yeah it's it's a it's dense is the best way i can describe it but it was also just bland oh. bland and kind of kind of dry just really really terrible i got to a point where when that would get ordered i would just take this pieces and just shave all the toppings off throw the crust in the garbage and just eat the <sighs> Eat the pepperoni and sausage and cheese off of it. And they, even then, like, the sauce was kind of like, Ugh. I was like, I'd rather just eat my sandwich, to be honest. I'm good. Yeah, you can bring your own like, lunch, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I did most of the time. But still, like, you'd have a bunch of people in and, all right, we're ordering pizza. And I was like, oh, you're setting a bad example for what Portland pizza tastes like. This is terrible. But that place similarly is uh, is no longer there. And so. you survived to tell the tale. I did. I did. All right, let's see what we have here uh some of these all kind of revolve around the same the same question of like you know they want he want, some people want to explore the whole topic of pineapple and i feel like that is an entire podcast episode in and of itself which could get uh just go down so many roads um a lot of people want to know what your favorite place is and i think that's like asking what your favorite child is that's going to be tough but I think maybe a good way to frame it is, you know for a fact this is the last slice you're ever going to eat for some reason, whatever that is. Maybe <clears throat> maybe you de develop a gluten intolerance or maybe, maybe it is your last moments on earth. What is the last slice you would ever pick right now? Wow. And I realize I may change it within 45 minutes. Well... Well, right when you... Just in this very moment. Right when you yeah. said, oh, if you have a gluten intolerance... My brain went in a completely opposite direction from what it did when you asked me my last slice. Okay, if you're telling me right now okay. I have a gluten intolerance, the last pizza that I'm going to eat is going to be like a Papa John's pizza because what? it will make me hate pizza. And that's the Whoa. best way to continue <laughs> my existence. <clears throat> wow. That's not – wow, that is a different way to think about it. I don't want to spend the rest sense. of my life being like, I can't eat this food. Oh, the last one I ate was so beautiful. No, I want to be like, 
screw you, pizza. If this is right, if this is how bad you could be, I don't want you anymore. <laughs> so that's you know I've never had Papa John's. I've never had it. Good on you. It's it pretty seems kind of weird to say. Pretty bad. Okay, good to know. Good. To but know. I don't. I don't. I don't have a good answer for like my favorite, like last slice on earth favorite slice. Just because it really does change, and I respect that you said it could. You could. You know, is just at this moment. And I will say, at this moment, the last pizza that's been sticking in my brain was Zupardi's in West Haven, the sausage pizza. I saw you saw you posting about that. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I, I had it a bunch of times. I went there on Friday with my tour guides, and it was as good as ever. All right. There we go. And in 20 minutes, it'll be something else. That's Probably. fair, I think. So we've kind of did a, a reversal of what I would normally do. Usually that question would be like the last question I ask people before we sign off. But obviously, this is a special circumstance. <laughs> so we'll do it a little bit backwards. But right now, what I want to do is let you take the floor. You know, if you got something you want to say to a few thousand people and you want a message you want to get out, whether that's a, you know, shout out to your grandma or, you know, a plug or just something that's been on your mind. Now is a, a chance to do so. Well, I'm definitely going to shout out my grandmas because now that you said that, if I didn't do it, I'd be a real jerk. <laughs> Grandma, Grandma Shirley Charlotte had her 103rd birthday last week. Whoa. Yeah. Congrats. Thanks. That's She's, awesome. Yeah. So that's awesome. Grandma Seal, shout out to you too. She she's a, she's like a young grandma though. She'll be ninety seven in a few months. Young, <laughs> spry, yeah, yes. spry. Uh, but mm-hmm. the, another message that I'll send out to everybody is just in, in in the world of pizza, have as much respect for the unfamiliar pizzeria as you would to the unfamiliar sound in your guitar playing yeah. or music music or whatever. You know, like remember that as you get closer, you'll see more detail, and you might like that detail, or it might just make you more interested in learning more there you go i like that that's beautiful beautiful all right this is the final question now since we kind of already talked about the favorite pizza or last pizza question we do always ask people what's their last pizza at the end of the at the end of the i usually ask what their favorite is because you know most people are not as experienced as yourself and so they can usually pick one a little bit easier or one or two a little bit easier uh sometimes people want to go like Here's my like, you know, kind of greasy late night, like, I, I, I don't know what, like kind of slumming it pizza. Yeah. And then there's like a highbrow version that they'll pick sometimes. So there's a lot of times people will bounce That's between so the two. That's so funny because I yeah. like, I don't, I don't know if this is the same in the guitar world, but it, I like, I wonder if that's similar to saying like your favorite like pedal is like a, like a boss orange distortion pedal or something. Well, that is hilarious that you say that because the f- the final question usually I ask two two last questions. One of them is, "What is your favorite pizza?" And the other question is, "What is your favorite boss pedal?" No way, really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. Wow, Every time. Uh, it's the DM two. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, well, I mean, of course, uh, I love the DM two. Okay, it's so good. Uh, the boss DM two. I don't remember where we were, but it was when I was with this band touring, and I think we were somewhere in Vermont or something. And I remember somebody had wanted to get rid of their DM2, and I didn't know anything about it because I know very, especially at that time, I knew very little about effects. I had a rat and a tuner, and I guess I don't know. That was pretty much all I used, and I bought it from them for fifteen dollars, and I've used it on everything I've 
ever made music wise. I love the nice. DM2. The DM2 is wonderful. That is a great, great choice. Yeah, I, I do love boss pedals. So, I mean, shout out Jason. Actually, you know what? I'm not sure if this is 100% accurate. I, it may be. Jason Fuzzmonger, he's a moderator in the Tone Mob Facebook group, and he's a, a fellow New York citizen, though I believe he lives upstate. Um, I think he's the first person who told me about you. No way. I believe he took, yeah, I believe he took your tour. He found Best Pizza, which is, of course, you know, iconic. I've got to go place. there. And I believe he is the first person to tell me about your tour and its existence because he took it. So awesome. here we are. Yeah, what, shout out Jason. What, He's a longtime supporter. What are what are common answers to that boss pedal question? The tuner is the most really? common one. The TU2. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's I think. Somebody is actually compiling a list of all of the answers to that question. I started asking that, I think, around episode 150 or so. Wow. And and so somebody right now, a listener, is compiling the answers to all of those questions to find out what the most popular answer. The the, the CE2 also is, is very popular. Yep. Uh, some people say DS1. I love a DS1. That's, I mean, it. it's kind of underrated, honestly. I feel like, like most if you're... Most people just set the tone control too high. Yo, it's so easy to make it sound thin, but I think if you're a... Mm-hmm. The better player you are, the better that pedal is. I mean, even just like thinking about it a, a little bit differently. It's like we're so used to like putting the tone, you know, around one o'clock on most pedals these yeah. days. And really, that's that needs to be more like 11 or maybe even further back on the dial to to really work. I don't know why they made the range that way. It's got way too much trouble in it for most applications. It's, but. I mean, that, that's the beauty of getting to know the pedal. It's like getting to know a flower product that like you're going to make your mm-hmm. dough and you're like, well, this flower likes a lot more water. So you got to be ready for that. And in the right application, right. it's good. But uh, yeah, there, I, yeah, it's with, with tone mm-hmm. I, on that pedal. I hated that pedal for a long time because I just thought it sounded so thin. And then I forgot that like 12 o'clock is not average. 12 o'clock is whatever no. they wanted 12 to be. 10 is whatever yeah, you want 10 to be. And 11 is not just one louder. <laughs> Why don't you just take 10 and make that the last? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Cognitive dissonance in that shot where you're just like, but anyway, it's your listeners have heard enough Spinal Tap references. I don't want to be in the doghouse here. You can always have one more. It's always always good. But one more. But this one's one more. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited to see what we get into on the uh, Patreon section because I've got a a really weird question that I ask over there. I'm very excited about that. I'm I'm excited to see what your answer is. Yeah. Well, all right, everyone. For Scott, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. We, of course, got extra weird on the Patreon episode. So if you like weird and you want to help keep this show going, please, please, please check out Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash tonemob, and for five bucks a month, you can get extra episodes beamed right to your ears every week. And I really, really appreciate everyone that is supporting over there. It is a massive help. Thank you all so much. And something I probably should have plugged at the beginning, but hey, Better now than never. If you want to check out the Tone Mob YouTube channel, I am posting a new video today as this episode airs. 
featuring a brand new Stringjoy product. So we came out with stainless steel bass strings. That's something that we've been asked to do for a very long time. And we now have stainless steel bass strings, which are a great option for those who happen to have a nickel allergy, 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 or somebody who's just looking to get that brighter, more percussive bass attack. It's really great for metal players, but really it's awesome for anybody looking for extra brightness and attack in their bass tone. I do a shootout, not really a shootout, a side-by-side with the signatures and what we are calling the Rangers. That's our new stainless steel bass strings. I'm publishing that today. I am really going to be going hard on YouTube. I know I've threatened that for a really long time, but I'm finally getting more comfortable with my cameras and whatnot. In fact, I think you'll see a big step up in quality on this versus what I've done in the past. So please slide over and check that out. Let me know what you think. If you have any hints for me, any pointers, feel free to email me. If you need me for any reason, get in touch. I am around. I am always around and available. So please hit me up wherever you would normally hit me up on the socials. And I will talk to you on the internet very soon, people. Have a good one. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or a band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. 
That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform.